My name is Dr. Lindsay Wisner. I'm a psychologist, author, a mom, and still an occasional shit show. You're listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. This is a place for smart, sweary women to talk about stuff that matters, stuff that can make us uncomfortable, but stuff that helps us to learn and grow and be okay with living in that discomfort of not knowing the right thing to say or do all the time. Thanks for listening. You can also find me on Instagram at psychshrinkmom or at neuroticnourishment. Hi, friends. Uh, what can I say? There's never a dull moment anymore, is there? Uh, this week, I am re-releasing two episodes that were supposed to seamlessly released last week. However, that whole social media shutdown kind of screwed me. So um, if you didn't get to hear it last week, I encourage you to listen to Marsha Moran's How You Do Recover from a Stroke, which is the episode you are listening to now. And then the follow-up episode that was totally meant to be a Patreon episode, so you guys get another one for free, is uh, it's Toby Pasman, and he talks a lot about EMDR. If you like what you're hearing, please, please uh, subscribe to our Patreon feed. And for just $5 a month, you will get fantastic bonus episodes. In fact, uh, in just a week or so, the bonus episode is especially geared for you anxious parents and terrified seniors, juniors and seniors in high school. I happen to know a lot about the college admissions problem process and problem. And uh, our bonus episode, our Patreon episode, exclusive for patrons only, is going to be Lions and Tigers in College, oh my. And it's basically where I give you the inside scoop on all that I know and what you should and should not be worrying about. So subscribe quick. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Jan Canty, and I'm here to tell you about my new book entitled Survival Guide for Coping with the Homicide of a Loved One, due to be released in the spring of 2022 on Amazon. As a psychologist and homicide survivor, I understand the need for useful information, a kind of roadmap of what to do when tragedy strikes. While this book is not designed to be the only source of information for homicide survivors and their friends who want to help, it does cover a lot of territory. Survivor Guide for Coping with the Homicide of a Loved One wrestles with practical but tough topics like the death notification, funeral planning, the over or under involvement of the media, procedures of the criminal justice system, the tough task of crime scene cleanup should you do it yourself or go with a pro, a chapter on grief in children, dealing with the parole system, and more. There's also several pages of resources and an extensive glossary of terms. Written in easy-to-understand language with space to jot down important information, this book covers the basics. Please look for updates on www.jancanty.com, won't you? Marsha Moran is the survivor of a massive stroke that caused her to lose the ability to speak, also known as aphasia, and resulted in limited control over the movement of the right half of her body. Thanks to her hard work, the advocacy of her husband on her behalf, and large amounts of time spent with neurologists specializing in EMDR and brain mapping, these days Marsha isn't just surviving, she is seriously thriving. Marsha is an outspoken advocate on stroke awareness, the author of an autobiography, Stroke Forward, about the process of recovering from a stroke and advocating for proper medical care, specifically the medical care and medical practitioners that are right for you. You can find out more about Marsha at www.strokeforward.com. You can find her on LinkedIn at Marsha Moran. You can find her on Facebook at Stroke Forward and on Twitter at Stroke underscore Forward. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, Marsha. I'm so excited to have you on. 
Hi, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> nice. And even if we're not, we'll fake it really well. I'm just kidding. I am excited. Um, you uh, made something that could be a horrific experience into a real, I hate the word journey because of The Bachelor. They're always on this journey, you know, but but it was a journey, you know, and so I, can't, I have to say it. Um, you uh, had a stroke and you wrote a book called Stroke Forward, which is a really good book. Um, I highly recommend it. My favorite part about it, there's a lot of favorite parts about it, but one of my favorite parts about it is all the different voices that you hear. Yep. Um, especially, you know, your husband, Jim, and I, I felt for him and you get to sort of know your, your family is fleshed out. And um, it just seems like this fantastic, heartwarming, uh, so when I write a book, my family hates me because I disappear into myself. My laptop never leaves my side. They hate my freaking guts. I, I interviewed this woman. Um, uh, she wrote Perfectly Hidden Depression, Margaret Robinson Rutherford. And I actually cracked up because her dedication pages to my husband, Richard, it's my turn to do the laundry. And I totally related to that because when you do, when you write a book or when you have a project or something, it's, you're like, I don't go anywhere without my laptop, you know? It's because there might be a free time and it becomes this very secluded and isolated event. And yours, I feel like um, was so very different and everyone contributed and you just feel the love. Um, you know, which is really fantastic. Um, so um, you, uh, on March 30th of 2014, that's when your, your stroke occurred. Yeah, um, that was a big day. Uh, so tell me, and also out of curiosity, what was your job before? So I ran a marketing firm. Okay. I don't have any follow-up questions because I'm really bad at marketing stuff. Um, <laughs> Um, but I did, at one point you did reference not returning to work. And so I, you know, that was my question. Um, so can you tell me about it? What that morning was like? Yeah. So I woke up and I felt really funny. So I got my phone and texted my friend Rochelle because we were supposed to have breakfast that day and I couldn't read the text. Huh. So I set the side aside the phone, I turned over and bam, I got a terrible headache like right here. And despite the pain, I fell asleep. Wow. And the next time I woke up, I knew I was in real trouble because my whole right side was completely limp. Yeah. And so I panicked. <laughs> Right. Um, and well, you should. Well, anyone should. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I fell out of bed and I dragged myself across the car uh, carpet on the floor until I got to the door, which was closed. And so I had to reach up and grab the handle. And I was, it was kind of hard because I was stuck to the floor because I, so I finally got it. And I don't know how many times I tried, but it finally snuck open and I was so tired. I just took a rest. And again, I can't tell you how long that was. And finally I called down the hallway and I ran out of gas. Yeah. Completely. I just couldn't move. And I thought, well, Jim is going to come out and have a soda, right? Sometime crash i don't know what it crashed but it's so strange that you still don't know that was i was like you know that you still don't know what that thing was so i think perhaps it was my parents yeah calling jim upstairs yeah i i my thought is the same and i just got the chills i my thought is some sort of divine not godly divine some sort of Something was looking out for you. Someone was looking out for you. Yeah, I think so. I do too. That's how I felt also. But so I'm, I'm glad to hear. Because <laughs> if you had said that you later, oh, oh no, I figured out what it was. I was going to be super disappointed. <laughs> no, I haven't figured out what it was. So Jim came upstairs and he said, Marsha, are you okay? I went, 
I can't talk. So can he ask, can it, can you talk to me? I said, still not talking. Yeah. So he called, so he called 911 and looked around the upstairs to see if he could figure out what happened and he couldn't. When the paramedics came, the first words out of one of their mouths was stroke. Yeah. When did she have her stroke? And he said, that was the first time Jim or I thought of the word. So I think that there are a lot of people out there who have strokes, don't know it. Sure. Or maybe I'm just. No, I could, or TIAs, mini strokes, or yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I know there's some signs to look for, but that's because I watched a lot of House, the TV show. <laughs> I really like that one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's interesting. And it's also interesting that the paramedic would say it so bluntly. Um, well, so there's no other way to had, say it, yeah. Right, so they had to decide whether or not they were going to give me TPA. And they had to see when I had the stroke. Well, I had it during my sleep, so I don't know when it happened. My husband right. didn't know. And just so, people that don't know, TPA is tissue plasminogen activator. I'm totally right. reading out of your book, um, which it's a drug, it's a, a drug approved, FDA approved treatment for an acute ischemic, ischemic stroke. To clarify that into English, it's an acute, meaning something that's recently happened and ischemic is of unknown causes. So it's a stroke that we don't know what happened, why, how it came about, correct? Right. Yes, and ischemic strokes are, they're 87% of strokes are ischemic, and that wow. means a blood clot went into my brain. The other 13% are hemorrhagic, and that means that a blood vessel bursts in your brain and you have bleeding. Gotcha. Um, and yeah. you, I mean, are and were extremely fit, extremely healthy. I mean, it was not lost on me that your husband kept bringing you workout clothes to the hospital, like, <laughs> you know, and frankly, in the pandemic, honestly, I, 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 I haven't worn jeans. I haven't worn like yoga pants. At some point in time, I'm going to either do yoga or work out, you know? So like, I understand I, I have a closet filled with, you know, workout clothes and my husband might very well do the same thing, but the, <laughs> the idea of a sports bra after a stroke, it was, I, you know, Definitely. Um, so, yeah, so you could imagine putting a sports bra on when you have one side that's really not working too right. well. Right, <laughs> I definitely felt that. And it also, it, 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 I definitely felt that. I also actually, and this is a weird thing to say, but in some way I related to um, that long walk, that long crawl, that long roll down the hall, because when I was uh, 17, I, I herniated a disc in my back while sleeping. And oh. I had to like, you know, again, like you can't, I couldn't walk. And I was like sort of pushing myself on my back, like trying to get yeah. down the hall. I didn't get very far, but um, yeah. you know, at some point, fortunately my mom came in, but much less dramatic. But at the time I was scared to death. I had no idea what had happened yeah. and there was no way of getting help um, because I had gotten my phone taken out of my room the night before Oops. I was I I had this method to stay on the phone late with my boyfriend I unplugged the phone in my parents room so the light wouldn't light up so I think that I was on the phone um but they caught me somehow so um so anyways I uh, the point is I I definitely felt emotional with that because I I I I've tried to make it down this this surreal everlasting hallway and um you made it a lot further than I did, um, you know. Maybe I had more internal motivation. I think, so. I mean, I think so. I mean, I didn't know what was going on, but you, but I could speak, but you couldn't. And so I think a part of you definitely knew, especially I believe you, there was, um, your mother had died of an aneurysm or your, yeah. yeah. My mother. So, and, we were all surprised. So we believed that she would live to be 90 because that's what she told us. <laughs> and she was saying, I want to move in with so-and-so. And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when she had her aneurysm, we were just totally taken aback. It's like, okay. 
but it never occurred to me that uh, an aneurysm first is a stroke. Right, right. I mean, there's a, a, I think that you said, you said there's a small difference, but it's all, it's, it's, it's the same equivalent. I don't know. I'm struggling with this, but, um, but yeah, but how old was your mom when she died? 77. Okay. Right. But you were much younger. You were 53. Thank you. I can't math. It would be a disaster if I tried. <laughs> um, just ask my fourth grader. They know fourth grade math is out of my realm. Um, so it's interesting. I've never done this on a podcast, but so I'm, I, I'm sort of a dork for brain stuff, which is why I was interested. And um, I, you know, there, there's two areas of the brain. Um, there's many, many areas of the brain, but the two in particular that are interesting when you're dealing with like uh, speech is um, Wernicke's area, which is in the back middle of the brain and mm -hmm. then Broca's area and Broca, and especially when you pointed to your head and said that that's where the pain was, I thought, okay, that makes sense. It's, it was obviously closer in some way to Broca's area where Broca's area, you have trouble producing language and then Wernicke's area, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen if you know in the course of you ever had a chance to see or speak with anyone um, who you know who has experienced the trauma there, but they're not. They think that they're speaking and they're not making sense. It's total gibberish, right? And it's and I mean, when I teach a course, I, I show people because, and everyone's fascinated. But it's it's a really um, it's frightening that our simple things can be you know, taken away from us like that. Yeah. And so um, um, as a result, you know, of your stroke, it, it was, I don't know if it was exactly a Broca's area, but clearly it was the production that was uh, the aphasia that was, right. um, aphasia is um, an inability to speak. Um, right. I'm, I'm, see, you and I are <laughs> well-versed in some of this, and um, but, uh, but the average listener may not be. So that's why I'm trying to do both. So one of the things that you really stress in your book, and I imagine one of the reasons why um, you um, are becoming or have become a health, you know, a health and life coach is because of this experience, you've learned how important it is to really have a patient advocate. Like an and there's, it's so different than having a, it's not just about having a spouse or a loved one. It's about that word advocate and someone to take notes and someone to remember because you are not going to remember. I mean, yeah, it, exactly. You know, especially in this instance, but also in general, when everything's going on, you know, um, it, it's very confusing. You know, um, when my husband had a health issue a few years ago and I, I wrote an, you know, I had a notebook. I have all the test reports. I have everything, every appointment, and um, and it, I I put it away. And when if it comes up again, I'll have it then too. But it's someone to be there and listen and to hear what what you may not be able to, um, especially because you couldn't speak. So yeah, well, exactly. But also somebody who says, "I'm not sure what you're suggesting is right for my my wife." Right. or my husband or whoever right um and, and say a little more about that because what at what point was there i mean there are several points but like what are you thinking in particular particular where so the first time my husband noted something was the day i was rolled into my hospital room and the nurse took me off the wheelchair and put me on the toilet and went to make my bed so I don't think that anyone who has had a stroke should be left alone no. in the hospital, in the bathroom. <laughs> so clearly the normal thing happened. I fell off the toilet. Yeah. And my husband goes, that is the only time she's gonna be in there alone. I will be sure that either I or the nurse is in there every time, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and I, it was, I mean, the, if fault was in the, it was uh, the nurses, you know, um, clearly and right. human errors right. happen, It's but still there needs to be someone pushing these things. Right. 
And then the second time I remember quite well is because I was still in the hospital and they had given me fluids and I'm going to say thick fluids to drink instead of food because I had trouble swallowing. And so 65% of people have trouble swallowing when they have a stroke. So I drank the fluid by looking forward, taking a small sip, turning to the left, swallowing, and then turning to forward again. And the reason you turned to the left was because the, the um, stroke had affected the right side of your body. Correct. And you have to be, realize that when a muscle is paralyzed, it's paralyzed all the way through. So I had no movement on the right side of my body. You know what? I'm glad you clarified that because I didn't understand. I believed your 65% statistic. I read about it and I, I took it, but I didn't understand until just now when you pointed out that like when it's your whole muscle that's paralyzed, it's, you know, it's, it's your throat is a muscle or there's muscles in your throat. And right. so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So the kitchen sent chicken up to me. And I was going, sure. It smelled really good. <laughs> and I took a bite and choked. So when you have this 65% of people not swallowing, it, it uh, means that the, your cough sensor is off. So if it goes down the wrong part, pipe, they have no way of knowing. Sure. that it's gone down into your lungs. So you get, you can get pneumonia. You can actually die from this. And my husband stood there and realized when they were yelling at me, get it out, get it out, that um, I could die simply from eating. Yeah. I mean, I, I it, it must've been- Horrifying to him. Yeah, I can't imagine. And, and feel so powerless at that moment to help you. Yep. Yeah, um, it's, you know, I, reading your story, I was, I didn't, I didn't, you know, you forget how all of the pieces move together. I mean, you know, okay, so clearly it was like a Broca's area-esque left side of the brain, which is why the right side is, is you know, um, experiencing paralysis. And that's great as a dorky, you know, science girl, but like, you know, going through it and and sort of watching or reading about your recovery and the way you explain it from all these different angles. And then you also get the same way you're depositing facts here as we speak, like you do the same thing in the book, you know? Um, and it's, it's very interesting and it's um, like aphasia, so, uh, you said at one point there were you had to do puzzles with with Jim and Jim would ask questions like who flies planes who puts out fires who delivers mail and like it's it's interesting because it is difficult you know or um, I'm a huge fan of um, Oliver Sacks he was a neurologist he wrote a ton of fascinating books and then um, you know he describes it as you know you you might know the name for an umbrella but you can't find the words to describe what it's used for you know or like there's all these little intricacies and so these puzzles were ways of increasing your um you know what you said in the book is like you want to do this as soon as possible you know you immediately go to work and you start um trying to repair the, the damage that's been got, done or really to probably build new neural pathways in the brain that get around the ones that have, might have been uh, traumatized or, um, or- I, I like to say they're just dead. Okay. So I have a spot in my head that's just dead. Okay. Um, and so, which makes it all the more amazing the way you've learned to, I mean, work around it. I mean, you know. Um, it's, it's a miracle, actually. It's a miracle. It's a very strong, determined person and family. And, you know, uh, with a lot of support behind you, it's you, you tried out pretty much anything and everything. Um, 
you went to a chiropractor, which I'm a little hesitant about chiropractors, but fine. Um, I went to three. Yes, you went to three, right. Um, You did, I think you did did neurofeedback, right? Yep. Um, And can you tell our listeners what neurofeedback was and how it helped you? Okay, so neurofeedback is a very small machine. It's about uh, this, um, about the size of a uh, smartphone. It's a little bit bigger. And it's connected to a computer and it's got five electrodes on it that the doctor puts on your head and uses really sticky stuff that I like to call cat spit. Okay. <laughs> so it's wet, it's gooky, it's got a little bit of, um, it's a little bit, um, yeah, it's just, call, I call it cat spit because that's kind of what it reminds me of. So there's two positive, two negatives in a ground that he fixes to your head. And then he turns the neurofeedback machine on. And this time it's um, micro, neuro, micro current neurofeedback. And that's important because most of the time when you hear about neurofeedback, you have to look at a ball or something else on the screen and make it move, right? Okay. This is, okay. This is non-operant neurofeedback, means that you do nothing. So you just sit there to do to do and I didn't feel anything now I could see my brain waves going across the screen but I couldn't feel a thing I'm going is he really doing anything <laughs> <laughs> right so when I went home I noticed that I could actually speak better hmm. that day I went, okay there's something to this so it uses one one hundredth of a AAA battery and pings your brain. And by doing that, it unlocks or breaks your brain out of this pattern that it's in. And apparently uh, after 16 sessions, I was broken free of probably PSD, PTSD, post-traumatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you very much. I don't know why I always have trouble saying that, <laughs> but, um, and I had two parts of my brain. So somebody always talked to me and I could understand them. And I knew what I wanted to say, but I couldn't say it. So I thought of something different to say. And sometimes I could say it, sometimes I, I couldn't get anything out. But those two pieces of me came together. So I was actually speaking as one person rather than having another voice in my head. That's interesting. I mean, it's, I don't understand a neurofeedback to understand how it could work. I also don't, I don't, like I'm not denying it. I'm just saying I don't, you know, and I also don't, um, I don't know enough about it. And I also don't know how the passage of time, you know, affects, you know, if would have affected. I don't care. It helped you get better, you know? And so like, that's great. And, um, I, I think I would want myself and or any loved one to try anything and everything. And neurofeedback is, I mean, it's, it's established. It's, you know, it's something that is done. It's not like a quack science. It's, um, you know, anyone who's interested in sometimes people with anxiety or depression or whatever it is, they give it a try. And I, I don't know how it works, but maybe it is helping with our, you know, new to develop new neural pathways or new, you know, I don't know. I mean, everything requires a battery or a charge. Maybe we do too sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So the interesting thing is that, so if you are thinking about um, neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. right, and you are going down a path that hasn't been trod down before. You get out your machete and you carve a little path. And if you carve that path every single day, you get a new furrow in there, right? So that's part of what I was thinking about this is that I tried speaking every day, but I didn't have a pathway to follow. This helped me carve a new path. 
that makes a ton of sense. Um, it's the past, like you were just sitting there passive in, in theory. Um, and yet somehow the brain knew where it needed to go or where the path needed to, you know, like that's the, that's the part that I don't yet understand. Also no. not a neurologist. So, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> nor am I, <laughs> right. But, you know, but I mean, you obviously looked into this a lot and, and it helped. And also, you know, um, I actually have patients that did do electroshock therapy several years ago and, and it did help. I mean, there's a lot of downsides and this is not the same, except it involves like some, you know, a small amount of electricity, but um, electroshock therapy, it gets a bad rap, but it, it, it can be used it, it, you know, it, to maybe to carve a new path or to break through a severe depression or um, a bipolar issue. So this is just a, a slight variation in something that psychologists have been using for uh, quite some time, right. um, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. And do you think, was the neurofeedback like the turning point or? Oh, that was definitely the turning point for me getting my speech back. Okay. So after 16 sessions, I talk like I do now. That's amazing. So beforehand, so if we had this podcast before I had neurofeedback and you called me up, I might not have said anything. <laughs> <laughs> you could just be looking at me and, you know, that's fine, but I really... I enjoy being able to speak freely rather than just think about what I want to say. I mean, I, I started this podcast because I, I felt like my voice was silenced a lot when I was younger. And so this, I fell in love with podcasting because this is my chance to be heard and to speak my truth and to, you know, meet fascinating people and share their stories. And so this podcast feels like it gives me power it's a false sense of power but it's power and I can't imagine you know um not being able to speak and because also if I think if I could write it would I you know I could it would be slightly better but for a while I mean you're you know you had prob it's problems communicating it's it's problems in language production that includes writing or texting or um yeah. you know so I imagine, I don't know, I don't know how you stayed, um, I'm going to say sane, I don't mean that literally, but how, you know, how you didn't sort of want to crumble. Yeah. Um, so first off, I want to say that it is power that you have, and you should be, the power is you're sharing what you think with so many people. That's true. And it's not false, it's positive well, so you. you just need to be aware that without your help and encouragement nobody out there would know what's going on with all the people that you interview which is true which is true um you know and I also make a point about talking a lot about subjects that people don't aren't comfortable talking about you know right. um and um in in this case in your case with the stroke I think it's there's just not a lot known about it. I mean, there is in the medical field, but in the, the everyday um, person, I feel like doesn't necessarily know these, these things, you know, like right. the way the paramedics came in and knew immediately, um, right. you know, so, um, but, but so thank you. And also like, I hope that this is doing good for other people also. And I know that you have the same hope and that's, you know, that's why you're gonna become like a health and life coach yeah, an advocate. So how long were you, well, you went home after about two weeks and then it was all outpatient? No, so um, I went home from the rehab hospital. I was in that rehab hospital for two weeks. Right. And then I had six weeks of home health care. Okay, yep. And then I had two weeks off and then I had eight weeks of um, outpatient care. And they said, okay, you're done. And I went, I am not done. <laughs> right, right. So, okay. So 
realized looking at how a person walks. Yeah, I could walk kind of, but I, if you think about all the muscles involved, all the ligaments, everything else, and when you're walking as well, you move your arm and hand. So I really wasn't moving them. So I had a physical therapist that I hired for, and I worked with her for a year. Yeah, I mean, one of the, such a, one, something that struck with me, struck with me, apparently I can't speak today, great. That's a, this is gonna be great, we'll both just sit there. Um, uh, one of the, um, the, where you said like, the pain's still there, even if I'm not walking differently, you know, because it's, 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 you said you're, it's always painful. You know, it's easy to, of course, I have so many underlines, I can't find it. But I mean, but the point was like, you were still in pain, even when you were, you know, like, it's things that people, it's one of these things that people think, oh, you look good, you know, you're walking better, you, and they don't think, but you're still in pain. Right. You know, and it's true, the muscles have to work um, different, and it takes time and good for you for the you know, uh, for hiring a, a physical therapist, I um, I have a love-hate relationship with physical therapists because of my extensive history of back issues, you know, but but they become your best friends, you know, like it ends up being your full-time job. You know, I've herniated three discs and it, it becomes, Ooh. yeah, I'm really good at oh. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm oh. very good at herniating discs, so. Uh. That would be something I wouldn't be proud of. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I also broke my foot running. And so then that had to be surgery. So I spend, a, I hang out a lot with the physical therapy people. Yeah. It sounds uh, like it. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it's funny. I have to tell you this story because it, it um, you talk about the fact that not every doctor is for you and, you know, and it's not everyone's a match and there's some that you had great matches with and some that you didn't. And I need to share a story because this is a fantastic story. And I feel like my, <laughs> I feel like you'll appreciate it. So um, I, I, I injured my arm playing pool volleyball with my 10 and 12 year old. It's embarrassing. I don't know what happened, but it's apparently like a tendon, tennis elbow type thing, but it's been, uh, like six or seven weeks and it's not getting better and it hurts like hell and I can't pick things up and whatnot. And so I finally made an appointment to see an orthopedist because you had to. And I walked in and I was like, I, I filled out all the paperwork, you know, like describing where the pain is. I know the bones, I know that, you know, and, um, and I said, uh, yeah, I'd like a x-ray shot of cortisone and a script for an MRI because I've done this before, you know, it's all, this is always the order. Um, not this body part, but everyone, every other body part. And right. so the guy was really an ass and he actually said like, sorry, it's been a busy day, but he didn't stop being an ass. And like, he just was very much like, do these exercises and like all my patients, they'll, they'll say, oh, I did them, but then when I asked him to show me them, they're not doing them right. And he like literally had me like do them. And then, you know, and he didn't like the cuff I had. So he told me to get another one and then we'll make an appointment for a month. And, uh, but if in two weeks you're feeling better, you'll be fine. But if it, you're not, it's cause you're not doing the exercises right. Um, you know, 65% of people who don't get better in, two months end up having surgery. And of those only 40% feel any relief. I was like, okay, yeah. right. So I was very displeased with my interaction with this man um, and kind of bummed and frustrated and like, you know, but he gave me the shot of cortisone and I had to ice and I've been doing these exercises the right way because screw him, I'm not gonna, you know, like do it the wrong way. Okay. Um, this was last Wednesday. And then Sunday, my son had a play date. I went to go pick up this other kid. I left my daughter um, home and I came back and there's groceries in the house. And I was like, what's this? And she said, ShopRite just delivered us groceries. And I said, we didn't order any groceries. And I take a look at the receipt and it's 
the right number of my house, but the wrong street. And my daughter, of course, accepted it because she didn't know. And so I'm like, okay, I'll be right back. And I put the groceries in the car. It's, it's half a block away, you know? So I put the groceries in the car oh. and I drive over to this house and I knock on the door. It's the doctor's house. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, I just saw you. And I actually, had I had another minute, I probably would have told him that he wasn't very nice, but like, it was so surreal and so weird. And I was just like, this is very bizarre. Like I was, yeah. you know, and so um, it was just a funny co coincidence of this man living right down the street and obviously didn't look at my chart enough to even register like right. the address or anything. Like he didn't, you know, any medications, like I don't know what he looked at, you know? So if I ever had surgery, it would not be for him. And now I know I can go egg his house sometimes. So <laughs> <laughs> I won't, but it's a weird story, right? <laughs> yeah, it is weird. Um, so um, what kind of doctors did you find that you did connect with or didn't or, you know? So I found that I connected with those that are more holistic. And I didn't connect with, um, so there was the neurologist that was treating me in the hospital. And so I made a, an appointment to follow up with him, a few appointments actually. And we did just, we didn't get along. So I just stopped seeing him. Yeah. And eventually I heard of a, another neurologist through my stroke group. She was fantastic. She just was the best. Woohoo! I was happy. Good. And then she moved. Uh, bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was good for a year or so. And then um, I found another one again through my friends. I found another one. So this is what I think I learned the most. Just get down. Sorry, the, the cat? cat is going after the food. It's the cat. It's okay. I have two. <laughs> I have two. And I, yeah, I figured it was the cat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, your friends are great for recommending other people. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, that's fantastic advice. Um, you know, I have to tell you, I, the, well, there's two other things I loved and one is, one is um driving topless that was fantastic I don't think we should explain it I think people have to buy the book to understand okay so if you want to know about Marsha buying driving topless drive buy the book stroke forward um where can they find it oh they can find it on amazon.com of course everything's on amazon um and then the other thing that I thought was really interesting was um uh, Toastmasters. So um, that's a, um, it's an educational organization that teaches public spe speaking. I obviously need it and leadership skills. Um, and so I guess you joined as a way to further recover and practice and, and put yourself out there. Yep. It must have been really scary. <laughs> <laughs> it was. So the first time I spoke, so I started Toastmasters in 2016. So I was right in my aphasia and I didn't speak. So finally, my friend Donna said, you have to give a speech. It was seven months and I went, okay. <laughs> so I went home and I practiced and I actually practiced enough so that I could do the speech. I was so happy, right? So I remember driving in and I was still practicing my speech and we were in the Toastmasters room and I had one speech go before mine. So I was still practicing, but I didn't know if I'd be able to speak. So she called me up to the head of the table and, um, I got my laptop and everything fixed. So if I didn't speak, I at least had something to show them. So I had slides. 
Yep. Right. <laughs> so I said the first sentence of my speech, and woohoo, it's going to go well. I couldn't say the second sentence. Mm. I started it, and halfway through, I just shut down. I couldn't say it. I tried six times. And on the sixth time, I actually said it. I finished the speech and sat down. And I was really excited yeah. and proud of myself because I got through the speech. I didn't let me, I, I didn't let circumstances get me down. No, and you kept trying, which is the most, yeah. you know, fall seven, get up eight. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. or we like to quote Batman in my house. Why do we fall down so we can get back up again? Um, but what a huge, I mean, accomplishment that was. What was the speech about? It was an icebreaker, so it was about my life. Okay. See, that should be easy, except for one thing, aphasia. So, yeah. So most people are afraid of standing in front of people. That wasn't what I was afraid of. I was afraid of myself. How would I get the words out? But so it's, in your case, it's a valid, it's a valid fear, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, some people it's like a, you know, naked in front of a classroom, you know, type fear, but in your play, your case, this is valid, but I think that, and I think you think that pushing yourself to, to do these things is what did make you progress. It, like, had you relied just on conventional measures? I don't, you know, you. I would be. I'd like to say I would be stuck at home thinking yeah. about things, but not saying things. Probably, um, I think that people with aphasia often feel hurt by society because they're, they're thinking like a normal person thinks, yeah. but they just can't communicate. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but it's true. It, um... I, I mean, it's it's interesting because society is not doing anything hurtful, but you're alone and isolated and stuck in your head. And that's, um, yeah, it's gotta feel awful and paralyzing. Yeah. So every time you have a phase, a little bit of you goes away. And think about that happening year after year after year. Right. At least that was my experience. Sure. Um, right. And, you know, even as we're speaking and I'll sort of stumble or pause for a word, it's not, it's not a permanent. I know it'll, my brain will catch up to my mouth at some point. Um, usually my mouth moves much faster than my brain. So. <laughs> Lots of regrets, but you know. Um, That's normal. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, also, you know, insensitive, but, and Sometimes I, you know, speak without thinking. And sometimes I actually deliberately plan to say bad words in public just to, you know, jar someone out of their position. Um, but, you know, it does feel, I do get the description of feeling sort of shunned by society or, or lonely or isolated, or um, I would go with hopeless and helpless also, you know? And you took the opposite route and, you know, you had great support. You used every contact you had, um, you know, and you really um, reached out and you are kind of a rock star. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd say that. Well, I would, um, it's my okay. sort of language, but you know, I mean, you, I don't know how, how is your right side of your body now is it do you still have that sort of um weakness and and yeah so i'm saying i'm 95 percent better so i'm still a little weaker on the right so i notice that i do a lot more things with my left hand than i do with my right but i do say, okay you're reaching up you have to use your right hand and i have full motion right I noticed, yeah. Um, but I still have some pain. It's not a lot of pain and I ignore it. Yeah. Um, and if I'm outside walking, I'm, 
I'm walking well, but I still notice that it's weaker than the, the left hand. Okay. But, yeah. You know, just one more quick note, because I love that we both agreed on that that was some sort of, um, you know, someone looking out for you with that thing that crashed. Um, and there's something else I forgot to mention. Well, two things. Well, one is you broke your right hand when you were in, I think it was 10th grade, correct? No, I dislocated my right elbow. I'm sorry. Um, you dislocated your right elbow. And so in order to keep up with school, you learned to write with your left hand. So, which is another one of those like fortuitous, you know, uh, weird fortuitous things I I mean it had to be if you asked me to write with my left hand I mean my left hand's also messed up one now but like I can't do it and my right hand now looks like scribble scratch anyway because how often do we actually write but um it just feels like your uh recovery I don't I hate the word journey but it is but your recovery was really a combination of like someone looking out for you and your own inner strength and it's so inspiring um, and really, I, I strongly encourage all of my listeners to, um, you know, uh, buy Marsha's book. It's again called Stroke Forward, How to Become Your Own Healthcare Advocate One Step at a Time. Is this actually you standing on a mountain? No. Thank God. Okay. Because that <laughs> looks dangerous. <laughs> but if I had before the stroke, that totally would have been me. Well, then that would have been dangerous. <laughs> I am just glad that is not you standing on that mountain because this, this whole, it gives me a lot of agita and anxiety, but um, it's a fantastic book. And Marsha, thank you so much for agreeing to meet with me. Thank you so much, Lindy. Thanks for listening to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, shout from rooftops, smoke signals, hot air balloons, whatever. I'll take any of it. Uh, And if you really like what you're listening, why don't you become a patron? Join our Patreon. Visit us at patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment. Thanks. Thanks.